Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and joining me for one final episode is Brandy Batalico, soon-to-be former reporter of the, from the Frederick News Post. Hello. So how you doing, Brandy? I'm good. I'm glad Thanks. to be here. One last podcast. And in studio this week, we have Red Shedman, brewmaster Vic Allen, and the operations manager, Chelsea Jenkins. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having us. So, uh... How are you guys doing, I guess, preparing for the snow tomorrow? Anything? Uh... <laughs> well, I guess everyone's try, probably gonna, going to try to figure out how we're going to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, don't think we're looking for a capacity crowd. Can't tell a commute, I guess, when you're brewing. No. <laughs> no, you know, when you're indoors, it's, you know, the world's kind of closed off from what you do. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wanted to have you in cause I was interested to learn more about Red Shedman and, uh, I guess how it got started. So you guys opened in, is it 2014? Mm-hmm. Yeah. November, 2014. And, um, I had, uh, my long-term plan was to move back from Michigan, uh, where I had started a brewery, I built and designed a brewery there. And, uh, uh, fortunately I had worked with, uh, one of the assistant head brewers from, uh, founders for quite a while and, and got a pretty good pedigree on, on, uh, on the brewing process. And it is a process. It's fascinating. And there's, you know, there's a million different ways to make beer. And uh, I one time sat across the, the table from Dave Egbers and Alec Mull from uh, Founders and uh, had this very conversation. And, and, and I thought, God, goodness, you know, wouldn't it be just great to get the, uh, to the recipe for all-day IPA because it's, it's a great, you know, session uh, IPA. And the more, I've, you know, I, the more I have brewed and the more I learn about brewing, uh, because it is kind of a lifelong process, the more I understood that no matter if someone gave you everything, all the ingredients and, and, and the recipe, the chance of you duplicating it is slim to none because there are way too many variables uh, in the process. But it, was so, so it's, but it is wonderful, and it's, it gives us a lot of latitude and creativity. Uh, so, you know, we enjoy it. What brought you out to Michigan? Uh, I just felt like I needed to, you know, get away from the city and the, and the congestion and the, uh, the stress of living in a big city. And I went out to the Midwest and it's nice out there, you know, uh, but the, uh, summer's too short, the winters are too long. (laughs) So did did you work at Founders or you were friends with, uh, no, I, I had actually, um, my in-laws had, were, were in the process of, of opening a brew pub and they had asked, um, that if they'd asked if I wanted to go ahead and, and work there. And I said, well, you know, um, sure, I'll, I'll take over the brewing operations. So I um, moonlighted with, uh, with uh, Sam and Brett at, down at, uh, uh, at the Waldorf down in Hastings, Michigan. And, and um, in, in learning what they were doing, and, you know, I sat down and, and worked out some details of, you know, how to design a brewery, what kind of equipment I wanted, whether I wanted steam or gas or, uh, you know, how big I wanted the coolers, what's, what capacity did I want, what, what, what tanks did I need, what other equipment did I need, you know, so basically designed the whole thing um, and, and developed the process of how that system worked and it's still there running today. So we just, I just took that knowledge and said, okay, well, that was a seven-barrel system, now I'm going to do a 15. And uh, so, so, you know, but I went from steam to an indirect fire, which is a different type of brewing process where the old uh, flame, the old propane or gas uh, type uh, boilers were direct fire, which gave you the opportunity to scorch your wort, which, you know, wasn't good because you've got sugar in there and sugar scorches pretty easily. But, uh, but they had come out with technology um, 
that was called indirect fire, where it was uh, a fairly large uh, flamethrower that had baffles in it, and then the, then the reduced uh, instant heat came back as warm heat, and uh, as a instead of being a thousand degrees, it'd come back as you know three or four hundred degrees. Um, it's it's efficient and it doesn't scorch your word. I've, I've, we've got uh, about 140 sessions under our belt and they're all fine and I don't have to spend any uh, any an inordinate amount of time cleaning the the kettle that I normally would. So, uh, but but you know, larger is larger and it does take a little bit longer. And instead of doing a you know a 400 pound batch, we're doing 800 pound you know grain grain outs and um, it's just twice as much work. <laughs> <laughs> What made you want to bring it back to Maryland, everything you learned in Michigan? Well, I wanted to move back here. You know, the climate's nicer, and I, I grew up here. And, uh, you know, my family's had uh, the winery there, and it would be, I, I thought, the perfect fit of matching brewing operations and, and an ongoing clientele in the wine business to, to benefit both businesses. And, and actually, that's kind of how it worked out. That our, our, Because people come into the brewery and um, – and now they can bring wine over. I have an 85, we have an 85-seat uh, tap house. So our customers can come in, sit down, enjoy the music. We have live music on the weekends. And, uh, you know, get a bottle of wine for the women if they want or and uh, get some beer for the guys, and everybody's kind of happy. I was actually curious about that. Um, I guess for podcast listeners, uh, could you explain kind of the – your family owns Linganore Winery and right. um, kind of – backing up the whole history of everything well my my parents bought the farm in 1972 and um and it it was a dairy farm and it needed a lot of work and of course we weren't going to have dairy cattle we did have cattle for a couple of years just as uh dad rented out the, the pastures for um uh to some dairy farmers that had you know heifers that wanted that it needed to um you know come into the milking if you want to call it circuit and um, so we rented out the fields for a couple of years. My brother and I planted a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch, probably 1,000, 2,000 grapes and tried to, you know, work it up from there. Um, and in the process, they, you know, learned um, actually a little bit better method, methodology on growing grapes, harvesting grapes, trellising grapes, uh, and all that um, is still the same, but, it's, but, it, but, it, but there are nuances to it that have gotten their production uh, up into um, – Really, you know, really a, a premium uh, vintner in, in in the state of Maryland. So, um, and now, you know, Eric's got Eric manages the fields with a couple of his employees. And did they did they purchase the farm intending to, to start uh, yeah. a vineyard and open a winery? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah. So, so you know, we've got 230 acres out in the middle of what what at that time was nowhere. And now we've got uh, a pot. Now they've got about 80 acres planted. Um, uh, Linganore Wine Cellars is the only uh, a vineyard in the state of Maryland to have a mechanical harvester, which is quite an apparatus. It's this big old diesel Ford tractor riding, you know, 15 feet up in the air, straddling the rows. Uh, but but it does a nice job. And um, and really, when it comes down to harvesting those kind of quantity of grapes, it's probably one of the only ways to do it because harvest has to get done in in a timely fashion when the grapes are ready they're ready uh, and they all they all come don't come in on the same day they come in over a period of a month or month and a half or so to my, from what i've seen because i don't really spend a lot of time up there um but but over the you know over the course of the time you know dad dad uh, uh tried to look at different methodologies to 
you know, to, to make wine and get it out into the marketplace, get it out to retail. And, um, and getting into the retail market was somewhat, you know, uh, you know, it was a lot of work. And so, so he put his thinking hat on again and decided that, well, you know, if we can't, if it's difficult to get out into the, to the public, then maybe we should try to have events and have people come up to us. So he started, he started the festival program of which, um, everyone, of which actually he pioneered and he worked with the folks in Annapolis and changed a couple of laws here and there. Uh, Linganore Wine Cellars, you know, was designated, Linganore was actually designated, designated as a viticultural growing area, uh, you know, in, in Frederick County, of, of which then they coined the name. The original name was Berry Wine Plantations, uh, but, but they operate, but the, I guess Berry Wine Plantations and now the DBA is Linganore. So they've, they have some, some nice events and, and uh, over the course of time the barn got renovated and now there's weddings and, and receptions upstairs and the lower barn got renovated and that uh, was a milking barn which got dug out and replaced and now there's a, a huge tasting room down there for, for retail uh, people and, and the back of that section is all designated as uh, barrel aging. So Anthony's got, I'm going to say, 60 or 80 barrels back there. I can't really tell you. It's, it's a, a bunch. Um, and then the building next door was built with, um, I, can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many tanks were in there. How did, I guess, your family's background in the winery and all of the experiences that they had help you when you were trying to start the brewery and, I guess, when you were learning how to brew in Michigan? Well, um, one thing that, you know, fermenting, sugar is from is is uh you know it goes across uh a number of different lines and and you know on one of your last podcasts i noticed that the the fellow that was in here talking about making distilled uh you know spirits is you know he basically said well we make beer and then we ferment it and uh you know so so um when you when your family's my actually my grandfather made wine uh when you know he was in brooklyn and um and actually, and we have his original press, which if you looked at today, you would laugh. But, <laughs> but you, know, you know, when you did things by hand, they, they were a little bit more uh, rugged and, uh, and, and uh, not, there wasn't as much finesse to them. But, you know, we weren't making, you know, a couple thousand gallons. You were only making 50. So, uh, but over the course of time, I mean, you, you know, my, my family's got, you know, they, they, they know stainless, they know the manufacturers, they know the chemicals that are involved in, in cleaning and sanitizing and, we and, and and you know it so it transitions pretty easily over to the brewing side and and if you actually talk to a lot of people in the brewing industry they will jokingly say that we are sanitation engineers that happen to make beer as a byproduct <laughs> 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 because because any brewer knows that you spend a lot of time you spend as much time cleaning uh, you know your tanks out and, and sanitizing all everything that you've got and and what's actually um, even more emphatic in the beer in the brewing industry is is um, is beer comes across pretty much as pH neutral. And, and um, well, you think, well, that's pretty good, but it's not because that means anything can grow in it, whereas wine is fairly acidic down in the, I'm going to say, two to, three, 2 to 3 pH range, so it's fairly acidic. So a lot of, if you want to call it pathogens and bacteria, um, while it's susceptible, aren't nearly as susceptible as they would be on the beer side. So, so we're, we have to be extremely careful <laughs> You know, and you know, from 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 a sanitation end, that you know, you may you absolutely have to know that your tanks are spotless and 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 well sanitized before you do a transfer. Do you think breweries and wineries could work um, together more, like other breweries and wineries? You guys kind of have it intrinsically because it's family, but 
is there more room to grow for the two industries? Well, you know, if I think, you know, if you want to, from a, from the, from a large picture, if you have the land and property to be able to do it, it would certainly make sense. You know, the biggest, uh, you know, um, what they call it, barrier to entry in, in this point is like, do you have enough property? Do you have the, you know, f for example, you can go down to, um, to jailbreak and they've got a building, whether they lease it or own it, but it's, it's in the city, you know, they don't need to grow hops. They're not, they're not a farm brewer. They don't, you know, and, and their production um, is limited to their tasting room on the retail side, and then they sell wholesale. So, um, and, and they've done an awesome job, and their, their demographics are so, are, are so, so good that uh, they can hit their, if you want to call it their Maryland limit ceiling on the retail side um, all the time, where um, we're not, you know, we don't have those demographics. We're not sitting in the middle of, you know, a million or two million people or five million people. Um, but, but it is a good combination to to have um, more than one attraction to to bring people out to your facility, and um, and for us, it you know we have the land, we you know we have a, a, an excellent uh, winery with a, with a great reputation, and we're just trying to follow the footsteps and piggyback on what's already been um, started, and to to you know keep our customer base and and grow it. You had mentioned uh, that your your dad kind of started festivals with the winery. So what is, I guess, what is key to having a festival uh, when you're trying to piggyback off of it and have festivals for breweries? Well, um, you know, it's interesting you say that because the, because the festival crowd for the wine side of the world is not necessarily the same festival crowd that we have in the beer side. Although if you take, if you want to take the model wine in the woods, it is similar because everyone, because, because there's multi, there's, you know, I'm going to say if if all the Maryland wineries show up, okay. So what is that? A hundred? I don't. I can't even tell you what the number is, but but that's a walking crowd. That you know, people will walk from from exhibitor to exhibitor, from winery to winery. Well, you know, in in our in in multi brewery events, that's pretty much what we found. Where we thought we were wondering, you know, if beer crowd would come, and and uh, and and you know, want to listen to music and do other things, and and they're really, you know, the crowds are really fairly walking crowds and social crowds. Everyone likes to see other people and go from booth to booth and talk to the different uh, brewers and, you know, about what do they have that's different and, you know, a little bit, a little bit more of the, uh, you know, intricacies of what their operation and why they're different. How do you, um, is it employees that come or is it, do you get volunteers to come out for festivals to help, I guess, give out those samples? There's so many people. Well, Charles, what do you think? It depends on the festival. It depends on the festival. We run um, a very different operation. Every festival we do is its own animal. It's its own preparation. Um, you can't really, you can never put it all in under the same roof. Every festival is different and you prepared for it differently. How many employees do you have at the brewery? Ten. Including both of you? <laughs> yeah, I'm an employee. <laughs> <laughs> So this would probably be a good time to tell us about your upcoming festival. Well, we have, um, we've got a um, Bluegrass Barbecue and Beer Festival coming up on April the 22nd. And um, it's going to be pretty exciting. We, we have grown this festival every year. Uh, last year we, we sold out, and this year we expect to, to sell out again. Um, we've got our um, 
customers or entrants, or if you want to call it, uh, we've got tickets that are that are we have the VIP uh, tickets that are for sale that get uh, uh, allow our uh, customers to come in an hour early and go uh, to all the breweries without having a lot of you know crowd control and and they, it's more more intimate for them, and um, and then at then at twelve o'clock we let our well it's open to the general public. Um, the VIP tickets sell for a little bit more, and uh, but you know it's a lot it's a lot more fun when you can come in and you don't have to uh, you know stand in line maybe so long for the other you know f for the other brewers. But we are we are having thirty breweries this year, which is um, which is fifty percent more than we had last year, and. We do have five bands, so it's an all-day music blue, bluegrass crowd. Uh, we've, we've, uh, I believe, we have thirteen uh, food vendors this year. So we've got, and that, that's the other thing that's interesting about about the beer crowd is that you know everyone's hungry. And what we what we realized with the wine uh, festivals is that um, a lot of people, a lot of our customers would come and they would kind of just you know, park themselves for a period of time and, you know, if they wanted something, another bottle of wine or they want to get another beer, they'd get up out of their seat. Similarly, if you would do it at a ball game. But the beer crowd likes to socialize and they'll go from, you know, from, from a beer vendor to a food vendor to one of the crafts vendors and spend a lot of day, a lot of time, you know, walking uh, throughout the group. Um, so so we've prepared for, for a much larger crowd this year. For the festivals, do you see a lot of people coming back to the brewery afterward and being like, we first tried the beer at the festival, and now, or we were first here at the festival. Do you try and get those people to come back? Is that the main goal? It's it's a great way to, um, you know, it's a great way for, for promotion for the facility, whether it's the winery or the brewery. But, yeah, you, you people will come up, and then they'll, oh, well, we didn't, you know. And even we find, we find um, um, a growing customer base from even Mount Airy and Frederick, where, where oh I never knew you were here, <laughs> is is a common common uh, remark that we'll hear, which is, uh, you know, obviously we take it for granted, but you know you can take it to the same extent that how many people who live in D.C. go down to the monuments, right? Yeah. In your backyard. I so. think we see it as an opportunity. We actually have the facility where we can help other people out. We can have other people come and showcase their other maryland products we don't really see them as competition we see them as you know our colleagues and it's we're in a fortunate position we've got you know over 200 acres we've got the space we've got the capability to um to allow everybody to come out and showcase their products so i think i really our end goal is you know we want to help everybody out we want everybody's name to get out there you know this is red shedman's festival but if it was Red Shedman's Festival, we wouldn't have 30 other breweries coming. We want to help everybody out, and we have the ability to do so. And I really think um, that that is our end goal at the, at, at the end of the day, is to help everybody out. How many um, events do you have throughout the year? Um, we have uh, two festivals, uh, two beer festivals a year. And you mentioned that your, your dad had kind of gone down to Annapolis and helped clear the way to do things like that. What, what was it like before you know, those are. <laughs> I wish I could answer the question, but there were, there were, you know, there were there were just some things um, that go back. I'm gonna, you know, it's with how without giving you specific examples, I would just say that there are things that maybe they go back to prohibition that were somewhere archaic, and um, I think in the state of Maryland, we're still, you know, they're still trying to fight, you know, what they call the three tier system of uh, manufacturer, distributor, and retail. Mm -hmm. So. Um, he he did some work exactly you know to what end, uh, you know I don't know but but the um, 
but the 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 wine association, the winery association, um, became became its own entity, and there's so many wineries that now um, we have representation, and we have people down, you know, in, in Annapolis that are that know that you know they're dealing with an industry, um, and now the Brewers Association has probably I'm going I'm going to say they probably approached 65, maybe 70 uh, breweries in the state. I, I, I've been reading the news that Guinness is wanting to, uh, you know, build a new plant in uh, Baltimore. So, so it's a very growing industry, and uh, you know, we keep on looking to the future as to how we can uh, continue to get Maryland, you know, support of Maryland and the laws, and uh, you know, to help the industry grow. Was it very different in Michigan, or? Um, well, no, actually, the things are a lot easier in Michigan. <laughs> they, the uh, Michigan Brewers Guild, we had um, over 150 breweries, and uh, and um, before I left, we did, you know, we would do um, what they call Winterfest. They had the Brewers Guild. There's a number of different uh, brewers uh, festivals in Michigan during the year, but the two big ones, one, the one big one was held in Detroit, which is a two-day event, and the other big one was held in Grand Rapids, which is where I lived. The... Um, and we had this thing called Winterfest. So in the middle of February, and you know, it's not exactly warm in Michigan. In the middle of February, we would get 150 breweries in, in what amounts to um, a ballpark, in the ballpark parking lot. And, um, and you know, the first year it sold out, it went, the tickets went on sale at midnight, they sold out by six in the morning. The second year I was there, tickets went on sale at midnight, they sold out by three in the morning. And the third year, they said we're going to make it a two-day event. So, in the middle of winter, you can have a beer festival, and you will sell it out. And it will—it's amazing. So, beer festivals are real, and um, and and they're well attended. So, I tried to, you know, to bring what I learned in the organization of those events, and uh, tried to you know bring them out here to help, uh, you know, grow our successes as well. What are your favorite beers to brew at the brewery? Well, I'm an you know I. I go back and forth. I'm an IPA, you know, Porter, you know, Stout fan. Um, I'm I'm not. Once you get, once I've gotten into, once I had gotten into, you know, beers that really have a lot of flavor, then you, you then you can take that to the nth degree. Um, so at the moment, we make four IPAs. I make a I make a a, a vanilla porter, and I make um, a really nice chocolate nitro uh, milk stout. So that's where I go, and and mm-hmm. we have. You know, we also make an espresso, which is made with real coffee. What's the most popular one pe- people come there for? Well, you know, uh, it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a, a funny lament that while, you know, while we're on the craft beer industry and we love the things that we do, the, um, the. Suicide the Blonde and the Coffee Stout are our most popular beers. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> are those your favorite or? They are my, yes, those are my two favorites. But the Suicide Blonde is a is a it's a Belgian IPA. It's a white IPA, so it's uh, it's it's made uh, as a lighter IPA. Uh, almost, it's not quite a session ale, but it's a little bit lighter than. It's not quite as bitter as most of the of the big IPAs, um, and it's our bestseller. So, and it also happens to happens to have kind of a catchy name. <laughs> Okay. What was uh, the first one you ever brewed there? I guess, how did you even get started with it? Like, what was your first batch like, and how have you kind of t- adjusted since? Um, 
Well, it it really isn't. It really isn't kind of as uh, as it's it's fairly scientific. Let's put it that way. You know, when you when you set out to brew a batch, you know what all your numbers are. Uh, you know how many gallons you need. You know how many grain, how much grain you need. Um, there there are brewing formulas that are fairly standard. There are mashing formulas that are fairly standard. In other words, how much how many quarts of water do you need per pound of of grain? Uh, and if you deviate significantly off those numbers, you're going to wind up with something that's not right. So they're all they're all calculatable. Um, the hardest thing you get when you when you buy a system is, you know, they don't come calibrated. A system has to get, you know, you have to get inside the tank. You have to measure the diameter. You have to measure the depth and figure out, you know, how many inches is a barrel, how, you know, and, and do all the legwork to do all your calculations. And that way, you know, all your numbers will always fall into place. Um, the biggest issue with, with, doing, with mashing in, which is taking grain and putting in, in, war, in hot water, is is the water to grain ratio. And if your water to grain ratio is right, you'll get a good efficient match. In other words, you'll get mostly all of the sugar out of the grain. You'll get good conversion. If you don't get good conversion, you can taste the grain and the grain's sweet because the residual sugar is still, still sitting in the grain. Um, so it will, it will cost you more money in the long run to get the same product because you won't have as much sugar, which means you won't have as, as much alcohol, which means you know, you'll have to you know, add more grain to get the same numbers if you're looking for a certain ABV as a final product. So your your family is all in kind of the winery industry or brewery industry. So what is it like at like Christmas? Do you guys end up talking about this a lot, or is it is it like don't talk about business when you guys are all together? No, we no, we really don't. I mean, business is business. When we get together for the holidays, we get together for the holidays, and we'll you know um, we'll bring some good beers up and some good wines up and. And um, occasionally someone will show up with something a little bit different, and you know, but you know, we no, we don't spend our <laughs> we we spend a lot of time talking about things and the finesse of what we're trying to do. But when we get together as a family, it's you know, it's family. <laughs> family with good beer. <laughs> family with good beer. Right. So, what made you decide to deviate from the winemaking tradition your family had? Well, I guess it. it well, well or why, why did you decide to go into brewing instead of making wine? Well, you know, I, you know, if you back the whole that whole question up is the the wine, the wine uh, business was developed by my parents, and it was kind of in its infancy when I graduated from college, and so the opportunity to grow a business, um, you know, seemed pretty the, the timeline seemed pretty long and maybe I was just a little bit more impatient than most people getting out of college so I wound up um, uh, you know in the chemical business for 15 years I wound up in the finance business for 15 years and um, and my in-laws had, had you know beer you know craft beer became uh, became the new I would say the new buzzword but it became very popular and the more I looked into it um, it seemed like it would be a lot of fun and I have a chemical background. I have a science background. I have two degrees, and 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 really brewing uh, takes draws from a lot of the education that I've already had, um, in dealing in the in different industries. Um, you know, finance. If you don't know finance, you'll never have a business. You have to understand finance. So you have to understand P and Ls. You have to understand you know where your where your money's going, where it's coming from, and um, you know I had the, I had an opportunity in Michigan to to design and build a brewery there. Um, uh, it just didn't work out. So, uh, you know, the brewery's still there, and um, I just didn't want to be there anymore. So I looked for it. I thought this would be a lot of fun, and I was really enjoying myself, and it is a lot of fun. And 
there's there's nothing better you know at the end of a day when you when you bring a, a new beer over and you and you're carbonated and you, and you can just look at yourself and say this is really a nice product <laughs> what did you do in uh chemistry and finance well i, I worked um i worked in chemical sales uh-huh. so so i got to understand you know different products from from cleaning to sanitation um and and you know different components that go into into the chemicals and what they do and why um and it was you know it was a good career I was in sales for 15 years and uh and then finance I was actually a financial planner so I had done some you know but so I'd gotten to get into a number of different industries and work with people on the high end of looking at their you know P&Ls and um and trying to understand a balance sheet so you know it's all kind of bottom line driven yeah when where did the name Red Shedman come from? Why did you decide on that name? <laughs> you know, um, well, it's it's uh, it was kind of like a bittersweet story when I when my family first moved to Maryland back in uh, nineteen sixty nine, maybe I guess nineteen sixty nine. Um, we lived in Darnstown, uh, right off twenty eight, and um, we had a, a a pretty good winter storm. You know, unlike Pennsylvania, when Pennsylvania had pretty good winter storms all the time, but down here it was. So, so um, I was convinced someone was was trying to break into the house. I kept on hearing these noises, you know, on the outside windows, and I thought, well, you know. So I woke my parents up, and I, you know, insisted that they call the police to get <laughs> to get the house, you know, secure. And Montgomery County Police came out, and you know, did a perimeter search, and and uh, the officer came back up to the front door, and he says, you know. Um, there's no footprints outside, so I don't think anyone's trying to break into your house in the snow. <laughs> so, um, some, so it happened to be one of the, the bushes or trees next to the house that in the wind kept on hitting the side of the house, making a lot of noise. And Dad decided to make a big joke about it and said that the, uh, that the noises were made by this fictitious ghost-like character that lived down in the, um, in the chicken coop, which happened to be red. So he called him the Red Shed Man. <laughs> so, so you so. took childhood <laughs> torment and turned it into a brewery right yeah and he and he joked about it all you know for the next you know 40 or so years he kept on teasing us <laughs> about you know the red shedman's going to come get you so um so and now the red shedman is coming to get people yeah <laughs> yeah it certainly did so the, so now can we uh, look now that you can open distilleries in Maryland? Have you thought about expanding and just delivering all of Maryland's alcohol needs to the masses? <laughs> um, there have been numerous discussions in the distilling, you know, in the in the distillery world. Um, but I think the never question never say never. <laughs> but you know, it, so it's an ongoing process. I don't I don't know that. Uh, there's been a decision one way or another. It's it's on the table as you know as a discussed uh, topic, but uh, when, you know when that happens or if it will happen, I'm you know it doesn't you know we're just trying to grow the business we have at this point, um, and it's been it's been a, you know you know growing a business is not exactly you know as easy as you think. Uh, the first year was was uh, very very difficult, and um, fortunately I had Chelsea and it was when we first started. You know, she was our first employee, and it was just her and I all the time. And we got six months into the business or eight months into the business, and we finally hired uh, Alex, who works now with me as, as a brewer. And, 
you know, it just takes a lot of time. You know, you just think, oh, someone turns the switch on. And my, my biggest joke with, with dad was years ago, um, you know, they, they had, there was an article in the paper that literally it said, you know, this business, blah, 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 was an overnight success. And my joke to him was, I said, you know what the definition of overnight success is? And he says, what? He said, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while everyone sits and watches, you know, everyone, everyone in my family works hard. It didn't, come, it didn't come without a price, and it didn't come without a lot of hard hours and hard work, long hours and hard work. So it, do, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you have um, – do you do uh, experimental beers, or do you stick to mainly your, your main beers that you do? Oh, we have, we have a rotation. I have, we have our main uh, – you know, our main palette of uh, probably six or eight different beers. Um, and, yes, we experiment all the time. Um, we're working – actually, we just um, came out with our, our one of our latest additions. It's a strawberry rhubarb, uh, which we showcased at the um, Quad State Beer Festival last weekend. So we're looking to have that on tap in, within the next week or two. Um, we do some bourbon barrel aging. Uh, we're, we're working on an, uh, an orange blossom, which is an orange blonde uh, for the summer, so a, a light ale with a little bit of an orange nose to it. So yeah, we, we experiment. You you look at new ideas and and um, and you know the brewing industry is very unique because um, uh, because if you dream it, if you think of a flavor, you think of something like you you'd have to think through the process, but you can almost make something that you like. You know, for example, I've, I've done, it's not Duclaw, but one of the other brewers uh, wanted to make something. I, you know, I thought an almond joy. You know, chocolate mm-hmm. and almonds and coconut all in the same place oh wouldn't that be good <laughs> well if you're if you like almond joys it'd be great but <laughs> <laughs> so so but if there literally there's if you can think of a flavor that you truly enjoy you can almost make it in a beer you just have to think through the process of you know there's it, some ways will work and, and some ways don't you just have to play with it until you figure out how to get your process yeah i'm always amazed by how many beers there are that have strong flavors that you would almost think had to have been added in artificially, but it was just some ingenious process that someone came up with to impart those tastes into the between the combination of hops and the the malted barley that they used. Yeah, you know the you know the last thing the, I think one of the more fascinating aspects of brewing was who would have ever guessed that you can take cones of hops off a plant which you probably think tastes more like grass that, you know, goats and sheep and cows eat, and, 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 and put it into a beer and get the citrus nose and citrus flavor out of it. And, and, and you know, um, at, at one point I, I had uh, severely overhopped a, uh, one of my IPAs, and I got the best compliment that, I could, that you could possibly get as a brewer, and a woman said, you have too much grapefruit in this beer. <laughs> and, and that was exactly so i yeah. laughed and i said yeah there's no grapefruit in the beer it's just it's all the hops it was like I, I got my hands on some really really divine citrus uh hops and made sure that they counted it um can you tell everyone where where can they find you we're um well you know obviously we're at the brewery but um well where's where's that located oh um 
the brewery is located next to the winery, but where, <laughs> <laughs> all right, where's the winery located? <laughs> the winery's in Mount Airy. We're out on, I'm being, I'm being devious. Uh, 13601 Glistens Mill Road. We're out kind of like if you draw a, we're right in the middle of, you know, um, Mount Airy to Unionville to Liberty Town back to Newmarket. We're kind of like right in the middle of that square. The easiest way is to get to us is probably to ride up 75 and turn right on Glistens Mill. And you're pretty available in retail, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we are. We're um, uh, fortunately for the law that got passed a few years back, where we self-distribute. So um, that was that was a very progressive law, actually. Um, thanks to Tom Bars and Adam Adam Fry and um, goodness, what is her name? Um, the gal from the legislature. Anyway, um, anyway, but we, we but they sat down and they passed a law that allowed this new classification of brewing license called farm, the farm brewing license. So it wasn't as restrictive as a regular commercial brewery. It allowed the, the, um, the, the farm brewers to have, you know, limited hours, uh, a certain amount of, you know, uh, limited food venue. Um, it allowed us to self-distribute so we didn't have to go through distribution. And it did it at a reduced rate so we didn't get you know, we didn't get beat over the head for what they would charge commercial licensees. How far outside of, of Frederick are you distributed? Um, we go as far west as Hagerstown, as far south in Annapolis, and then up into Baltimore. And, and um, do you want to run through the details of the Bluegrass Brew and Barbecue Festival again real quick so people know how to get tickets, when tickets are? We are hosting the third annual Bluegrass Brew and Barbecue Festival. It's April 22nd. We are hosting it at our parent company, Linganore Wine Cellars. There will be 30 breweries, five bands, and it's it's an all-day festival. You can come out and sample a bunch of different Maryland breweries, listen to music, socialize. We'll have... You know, 12, 12 food vendors, five bands, lots of crafts and local crafts and arts vendors. It's just a really good time. The tickets are available on Mission Ticks, um, and you can get more information on our website, redshedman.com. Perfect. Well, thank, but thank you, Chelsea and Vic, for coming in. It was a really good, interesting conversation. And thank you uh, for co-hosting one last time, Brandy. Thank you guys for coming. Oh, it's great to be here. We're we're uh, we're all about good beer, and we're so glad that uh, that that so are you. <laughs> <laughs>